what does it mean to be missionary? Why are missionaries necessary? And how can we all be a part of their work? Join us today as we explore those questions and more with Franciscan University alumnus, Father Louis Morozny, who currently serves the people of Haiti through Mission to the Beloved. I'm Dr. Bob Rice, professor of catechetics at Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio, and you're watching Franciscan University Presents. Stay with us. Welcome to Franciscan University Presents. I'm your host, Dr. Bob Rice, a catechetics professor here at Franciscan University of Steubenville, and we're talking about being a Catholic missionary. I'm joined by our guest panelist, Dr. William Newton, a theology professor here at Franciscan University, who will be filling in for Dr. Regis Martin while he teaches in the university's semester abroad program in Austria, and regular panelist, Dr. Scott Hahn, the Father Michael Scanlon Professor of Biblical Theology and the New Evangelization here at Franciscan. And we're pleased to welcome our special guest, Father Louis Morozny. Father Morozny was born in Haiti and then moved to Boston in 1993. He earned his bachelor's degree in French, philosophy, and theology at Franciscan University in 2005. He also earned his master's in theology and Christian ministry from Franciscan in 2007. In 2011, he was ordained a priest for the Diocese of Osava in Miraguan in Haiti, where he serves the poorest of the poor through his work as a priest and through the organization he founded, Mission to the Beloved. Father Lewis, it is so wonderful mm -hmm. to have you on our show. I'm thank really you excited. For, thank you for coming here. It's a pleasure. Maybe we can just start. Tell us some of your amazing story. I mean, God has done incredible <laughs> things in your life. How did a boy from Haiti end up in uh, studying in the United States. Yeah, that's a, that's a long journey, but we'll keep it short for here. Yeah, we have 15 <laughs> minutes in this segment. So. <laughs> but I, I was born in a small village, actually, in, in Haiti, and uh, it, I, that was all my world, is that little village in a little ravine area. In fact, it's called La Vine d'Argent the ravine of money. There's no money there. So don't, don't, don't go looking. And, and um, yeah, just in a very simple life, a peasant's life, with my grandparents uh, being good Catholics, and my parents also, young couple, being good Catholics. We went to the chapel there because we didn't have, we couldn't go to the parish. It was too far away. So we had mass once a year. Mm. And we learned to appreciate the Eucharist very much. Wow, how far away was the uh, how far away was the parish? Several miles, and, but the thing is, as a kid, walking there would take hours mm. uh, up and down mountains yeah. uh, to get there. And so the priest would come once a year to the chapel. We'd go to church every Sunday to the chapel, but we'd have a celebration of the Word. So we also came to appreciate the Word, but longed for the Eucharist. Uh, and then a, a, a few years, <clears throat> I think when I was about six or something, I moved to another village uh, in another commune, if you will, which is kind of like a county. Um, went to school there for a year or two, then went to the capital, and that's when I learned about modern technology like cars, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, television. I, yeah. Television was very mysterious to me, wondering how in the world can a person, the size of a person, fit in this little box. Yeah. Because when I saw the TV turned on, I walked right up to the screen wondering, what is happening? How did you get in there? <laughs> yeah, how uh, old were you at that point? I was probably eight okay. uh, at, at that point, yeah. 
Uh, but then went to school in the, in, in the capital for a few years. This is Port-au-Prince. This is Port-au-Prince, that's right, mm-hmm. uh, where my mother was working. Uh, very simple life. And, um, and then in 93, moved to Boston during the political turmoil uh, during the reign of Aristide and um, moved with my family to Boston and have been there since, well, not have been there since, stayed there for about 17 or 18 years, five of which of those years were at Franciscan University. Right. And so people thought, where are you going to school? Franciscan University of what, where? <laughs> they, they didn't know what Steubenville was, and, uh, but I'm so thankful that the Lord opened the way for me to come to Praise this place, God. blessed place. And now you are back in Haiti. Now I'm back a, in Haiti. As a priest, as yes, a pastor. Yes, and yeah, that's another story too, because <laughs> I, uh, I've always wanted to go to Haiti, but I thought God was calling me to join the Missionaries of Charity Fathers that Mother Teresa founded. And I, I went to visit them in Mexico. I applied. They told me clearly, though, that to join us might mean that you never go to Haiti. And that was a, a hit to the heart mm. because I loved Haiti. But wanting to follow God's will, I applied anyway, even though I cried and cried, but I wanted to do His will. And so I sacrificed Haiti, if you will. And for two years, I was preparing to, to enter because they requested that I paid off my student loans first yeah. um, before I could enter. And that took about two well. I never got to pay them off. But during that time of trying to pay them off, I was in Boston and also working and trying to found uh, this other mission with Sean Forrest, um, a, a dear friend. And that's when the Lord made it clear through friends, through my own heart, through spiritual direction, and through prayer before the Eucharist. I remember I came back to Steubenville, actually, after all these things were converging in my life. And I said, Father Michael, uh, the late Father Michael Scanlon, my spiritual director at the time, and uh, I asked him, Father, we need to talk. I'm going to come to Steubenville. So I just spent three days. I stayed at your house, actually, <laughs> yeah, during the time. And spent three days before the Blessed Sacrament at St. Peter's, just looking at the Lord and looking for direction. And he gave me direction. He gave it in concentric circles, at the heart of which he says, this is, you need to be in love with me. Mm-hmm. And that's the most important and the indispensable thing in your life. Then the, the first circle is the priesthood. And then the next circle is Haiti. So I thought, why would you let me think for two years I was going to Mexico? <laughs> I was sure. My discernment was clear. Yeah. But the word that came back to me was detachment. Mm. And that is one of the greatest gifts I could have received from the Lord. Detachment from Haiti, from my family and everything else. And yet he gave them back to me mm. like he did with Abraham and Isaac. He asked for Isaac. Abraham said yes. And then he gave Isaac back. I felt that the Lord asked me for Haiti. I give it to him. Um, uh, it was difficult. but. He gave Haiti back. So now I'm in Haiti, but serving and worshiping God, not worshiping Haiti. Mm. And so my bishop could call me today and say, tomorrow you're going to a different country. And I would say, yes, sir, Um, wherever. Send me wherever. It reminds me a lot of um, the story of uh, St. Francis Xavier. You know, he felt a burning passion in his heart to go to India and to go to Goa. And uh, when St. Ignatius, you know, uh, Father... Francis Xavier, one of the first Jesuits, when Ignatius said, who would like to go to India, he didn't speak up. And two other, two other priests volunteered, and he was crushed. But he said, you know what, if the Lord wanted it, he would have made it happen, wow. not me. Well, two days before the boat left, one of those priests got very sick, and Ignatius <laughs> said, Francis, can you get on the boat and do that? And, I mean, it is, I think that's a, a great start to even talking wow. about Mission is, yes. it really is about where God's heart is Amen. and are we willing to surrender ourselves 
to God's heart first yes. and foremost. Because yes. I, I think that's a beautiful insight. We can get too caught up in yes. those we're doing ministry to as opposed to the one who's doing ministry through us. Amen. You know, in, in that. That's one of the things Father Michael had told me at the time. I said, Father Mike, you know, I'm worried. Like, is this really the Lord's will now? Because he had taught me this spiritual principle that when you feel the Lord calling you to a certain direction and you're pretty sure of it, go in that direction. Don't turn back. Don't turn left. Don't turn right. Uh, if the Lord is changing in the directions, he will give you an anointing as strong as the first one. Unless it is as strong as just a distraction. Don't move from the path. So that's what I, I waited for. Uh, for, you know, for several months before that, people have been telling me, you shouldn't go to Mexico, you should come to Haiti. I thought, I don't, the Lord is not giving me that anointing until he did. It all converged. But he also told me this. He said, Father, uh, well, I wasn't Father yet. Had you I do that as a doctor. <laughs> Dr. Bob. <laughs> yes. My um, parents as a young child. <laughs> but he said, um, had you gone to Haiti, right when you left Franciscan, before this discernment, you would have gone because of your desires. And, you know, that could be okay. But now you're not going because you wanted to go. You're going now because you are sent. So that's why, even though I'm back home, I consider myself a missionary priest for mm. several reasons, one of which is that I am sent there by the Lord. Mm. I am sent to minister to the people. And that worried me at first because the Lord, of the saying of the Lord, uh, a prophet is, is, is without honor in his home. Mm. And, and I thought, well, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be a prophet in your home. <laughs> He's just saying, you ain't going to have any honor. <laughs> but honor is not what we look for. We look for His glory. Amen. And Amen. so that's it. Well, you know, I want to just chime in here for a second because I remember very clearly what it was like to have you on campus and in class and in conversations <laughs> for those five years. It was Thank such you. a joy um, you. because you had the passion and the zeal that a lot of students had, but you also had this hunger for the Word and the profound study of Scripture and yes. theology and, and how to combine those, you know. And so we were always sort of like waiting to see what our Lord would do with you. <laughs> And we heard, but we got to finally visit, you know, when, uh, when my son Joseph and David yes. came down with me and we had that unforgettable, oh my it's almost a week. Right. And it, it, in some ways it seemed like a, a, a day, in other ways it seemed like a month because <laughs> we were just so immersed in the lives of the people, yes. Bishop Dumas and... Uh, uh, I, I remember just being squeezed dry, and we would stand up alongside of each other, and he would translate into Creole what I was saying. And I was getting so passionate, I'm just thinking, he's getting more passionate. It was, so, it was so unforgettable, especially for the boys when they entertained yes. out there in the oh plaza and all of these things. They're, they're, I don't know what you call it, but they're, they're, they're acting, they're skits that they were doing. And you're Kids beatboxing too. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, you planted the seed of desire within them to be missionary disciples. You know, now Joe's in seminary studying for the priesthood, and, and David also has a fearlessness in so many ways that emerged from from, you know, just being there and in a, in a completely foreign culture, so to speak, yes. but also seeing that, you know, the gospel, you know, nowhere is the gospel foreign, you know, and the hearts were so hungry and the people were so excited. It was uh, one of the, it was a slice of heaven for all of us. Amen. Yeah. Amen. And Father, I'm just wondering, so you, you got a particular mission, it sounds like, I don't know anything about yes, that. So in 2005, I believe, um, I started a little nonprofit called called Mission to the Beloved, mm -hmm. and the idea of it was, we were taking some trips to Haiti, and I wanted people to 
help Haiti and love Haiti, not because they had pity, but because they had love and in recognition of the love that God has for his people, that they are, the Haitian people, are the beloved children of God. And when we have that perspective, then we move, we are moved by love uh, instead of just pity. And, uh, and it makes a difference when we're motivated by love. And so that's why I wanted to have this mission to the beloved. And then I started, and then even when I moved to Haiti, I didn't work with it for a while because I was helping different missions like Haiti 180 um, and our diocese and Life Teen, getting missions started. I guess the Lord <laughs> gives me this gift to start missions. And so um, until Bishop sent me to the cathedral, I'm the, uh, the pastor there at St. Anne's Cathedral uh, for over two and a half years. And so that's... Uh, so this mission came more alive in, in helping me to be able to work with the poor mm -hmm. there so that people, friends are able to connect. I'm sure we'll get to that later, but people can connect through Mission to the Beloved to the work that I'm doing in Haiti. Maybe talk a little bit about the difference between being charitable and being missionary. Yeah. Because as, as, you, as you explained that mission, you know, it, it is, again, it's more than just here's somebody in need. I'll write a check, which right. is a beautiful thing, right. but there is another step that the church is calling us to in terms yes. of, of engaging and dwelling with, with that culture. Amen. Uh, absolutely. Uh, this enculturation is not just an enculturation of an idea, uh, of a word, but it's an enculturation of, a, of the whole self. St. Paul says it well to the Thessalonians, I believe, that I give you not only the gospel, but we share our very selves with you. And that's precisely what I wanted to do and what I do is moving back there. One of the biggest compliments that I'll get is that, oh, wow, I would have never guessed that you even spoke English. <laughs> when I, when I um, speak to the people, when I preach uh, in Creole or French, and, um, but dwelling with, being with the people, um, continuing the incarnational work Jesus started. God is with us, Emmanuel. Obviously, I'm not God. <laughs> <laughs> as much as you're tempted to believe that. <laughs> but uh, um, it is a missionary with the people. I bring God in me to be with the people of God, and, and I'm one of them. Mm -hmm. uh, and a missionary is one of the people. Um, and even more than just the charitable work itself, which is necessary, because I believe that the Christian has to live both in communion and mission. Communion, uh, I say, has four pillars, as we see in Acts 2.42, uh, which is the Word, the Eucharist, fellowship, and the prayers. Uh, and communion always, true communion, Christian communion, will always lead to mission, which has the two prongs <clears throat> of proclamation and service. And unless the Word is proclaimed, then we're doing a disservice to God's people and to the people that we're ministering to. So that's why the proclamation must always accompany the, the service that we do. Wonderful. Well, we look forward to hearing more about how that mission is played out in Haiti. Uh, so much more to talk about. So please stay with us as Franciscan University Presents continues. I don't necessarily wake up every day and think, oh, I'm going to go on mission today. Um, but really, that's what I'm called to do, uh, whether it's here on campus, you know, waving and smiling to people on my way to class, uh, or whether it's more intentionally giving up my spring break to go to Los Angeles to minister to school children and the homeless. Um, really, what it means to be a missionary is to bring Christ's light and love wherever I find myself. To me, being a missionary is all about ministering to the people at your doorstep, particularly here in the Steubenville community. Whenever I speak with the students before they head out on local mission, 
I like to emphasize that being a local missionary is very similar to the, what you find at the wedding feast of Cana. Jesus asks the servants to fill the jugs with water, which seems like a very simple task, and they don't exactly know why they're being asked to do it, but ultimately they see that their little efforts, however small they believe they are, are magnified by the power of Jesus. He's able to turn water into wine. When God created you, he made you like no other person. You are unique, singular, and unrepeatable. So shouldn't your college experience be the same? At Franciscan University of Steubenville, you'll find faith and reason, wisdom and grace, mercy and truth. You'll study under world-class scholars and seasoned practitioners who are committed to Christ and His church. With over 40 majors and pre-professional programs, you'll find the formation you need to succeed. You'll discover lifelong friends and mentors who will welcome you, challenge you, and encourage you. Because we believe as Catholics, we are not called to hide from culture, but transform it. At Franciscan University, you'll find more than just a college. You'll find yourself and an educational experience as singular as you are. Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. We're talking about being a Catholic missionary with our guest, Father Louis Morozny. Um, we ended the last segment as you gave this vision of mission for the church. And I think we can agree, at least in our Western culture, United States, that's something we're lacking in. Uh, you had an opportunity to go from Haiti to the U.S. back to Haiti. Right. And a lot of your mission, a lot of your work has actually been engaging other people in mission work, uh, bringing them down from the United States, right. uh, you know, as, as Scott just shared about his family. What are some of those uh, keys that you see in terms of awakening a missionary heart, you know, in, in those that you get to bring to Haiti? Yeah, um, it, there certainly seems to be kind of a little awakening, as you say, uh, and that might be due, um, Franciscan University is one of those places that actually serves that purpose, uh, and this is not an advertisement, I, I wasn't paid for, for this. <laughs> I truly we're, always great, we're always grateful for it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but really, I, uh, I'm very grateful for the formation that I, I received here. Uh, when I came to visit Franciscan in 2001, I believe, and I fell in love with the campus, but especially for the mission work that they were doing. <laughs> um, and uh, the, the staff that we have, the faculty that we have here, like, Dr. Hahn, like you, um, I hadn't met Dr. William uh, yet, but I know that there's this fire that is here. So when you enter into the Word faithfully, when you enter into the Scriptures faithfully, you can't help but to have this fire that is like it is in your bones, and you must release it. And so I think that's very hopeful, a place like this. Life Teen is doing great work in their youth, mm -hmm. uh, the youth ministry that's dynamic, and that is helping the, the, the kids understand, well, their kids, the young people understand mm -hmm. that not only ought you ha to have an encounter, but that encounter must lead to, in fact, inevitably, it'll lead to mission, to going out of yourself. Father, I just, I, I was reading something on the, uh, um, from the U.S. Bishops Conference on mission, and there was an interesting uh, little talk by uh, John Paul II to the bishops, his last ad limina talk mm. from 2004, so just before John Paul II died. And there he, he makes an interesting connection, because he says, he, sa he says, 
you in the US, you need to re-engage in mission so that it will revitalize your yeah. church back home. Because yes. you pointed out that communion leads to mission. Yes. But I think at Franciscan with the mission trips, we also find that the students going on mission, they, they burn with more zeal Precisely. on account of that. So it's, it's not a one-way street. It's not at all. Yeah. It's, it's not at all. It's, uh, it's kind of like the, uh, in, in the Trinity. Uh, in baptism, we are called into the Trinity and confirmation. We're sent out uh, for the proclamation. And then it, we burn to enter into the, the Trinity. It's the cycle of love. This like between the Father and the Son. Son reciprocates. And so it always feeds back into each other. Um, so to mission will lead to more mission and to more communion. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that's the beauty of it, of this Christian life. Mm -hmm. um, whenever groups come to Haiti, almost inevitably, almost to, to the person, they always burn with greater desire for God, for community, and for mission. When they come back, they are set on fire. And mm -hmm. we always let them know that being a missionary does not only mean going to Haiti, but now that you're going back home, you're being sent as a missionary mm -hmm. to be with your family, with your friends, uh, with your, uh, your, your, your colleagues, that mission is wherever you are. It's not just being uh, going somewhere else, but it is being sent by the Lord to wherever you are. You know, when you translate the new evangelization into this call to be missionary disciples, you yes. know, that is something that is taking hold of more and more people. Personally, I prefer to translate it back into New Testament language, yes. where you have in the Gospels the 12 who are chosen and called, but they're called to be disciples yes. first and foremost, yes. which mathetes, mantano, comes from learning, study, discipline study. But it isn't primarily academic. It really is uh, a study of the Word incarnate. Yes. And then, of course, the way he proclaims the, the Word inspired. But, you know, to spend time with Jesus. And then, of course, the same disciples are sent out to be apostles, you yes. know. But it isn't like they cease to be disciples once they become apostles. Amen. There really is a sense in which it's a, it's a coordination where you continue to inhale the breath of God's Spirit and ingest the Word, and then you exhale, you proclaim yes. the Word, and you also share the Holy Spirit. And so, discipleship, apostleship, you know, you're following Jesus even as you're leading others to Him. Absolutely. And as you do that, you go back to our Lord and feel much closer to Him, you know. And a missionary for me, because I'm like, you know, I, I was raised Protestant, has that connotation of, you know, going to the Pacific or some island or India, you know, and an and apostle for me is like wherever you are, so that yes. when Jesus delivers the Gadarene demoniac and he wants to follow, no, you stay here. That's not right. because you're not an apostle, but because you're going to be an apostle here. Yes. And so as long as we can translate missionary to not only going there, but yes. coming back and mm -hmm. still being a missionary. And that was the point that you were making. And, and you also kind of communicated that to our boys. Mm -hmm. When they were down there, they caught fire. But when they got back, they were still ablaze. You know? <laughs> and they, they saw what it meant to yes. be missionary disciples no matter where they are. I'd like to add a couple things to that real quick. Um, there's a, it, Joy of the Gospel, number 120, one of my favorite passages to read about mission and missionary discipleship. It, in virtue of their baptism, all the members of the people of God have become missionary disciples. 
all the baptized, whatever the position in the church of the, or the level of instruction in the faith are agents of evangelization, and it would be insufficient to envisage a plan of evangelization to be carried out by professionals while the rest of the faithful would simply be passive recipients. The new evangelization calls for a personal involvement on the part of each of the baptized, and every Christian is challenged here and now to be actively engaged in evangelization. Indeed, anyone who has truly experienced God's saving love does not need much time or lengthy training to go out and proclaim that love. Now, it, then the Holy Father will continue saying <clears throat> that every Christian is a missionary to the extent that he or she has encountered the love of God in Christ right. Jesus. We no longer say we are disciples and missionaries, but rather that we are always missionary disciples. He will go on to say that we still need to mature, to grow in maturity. It, as you breathe in the word, as you are saying, we have to grow in that because, in fact, you, you, you can't, remain stale in a sense. You can't just say, well, I've heard the word, now I'm good. But you it's a continual growth in discipleship. And I believe the moment you cease being a disciple, then you cease being in relationship with Jesus Christ. And so no matter what you're doing, the being comes first. The being is in the discipleship mode and the doing and the proclamation and everything else. So we need to be connected as disciples. And the Holy Father also in the new document about the, pre the formation of priests because uh, you were talking about your boys becoming, wanting to become priests in, in seminary. He speaks of this aspect of being first a disciple is the most important aspect right. of the priesthood. If I'm not a disciple, if I'm a priest, a bishop, a cardinal, and not a disciple of Jesus Christ, I have failed in who I'm called to be, in my identity and in my mission. I remember once, um, uh, some years, about 10 years ago, I went to a Carthusian monastery with my, my son and some other boys, and they, they let us in. And it's, it's in England, so it's a pretty rigorous one, so they live almost all their time alone. And uh, the guy, the, the priest who met us, Brazilian man, he told us two things that struck me. Uh, first, he said, he said, you know, when we meet with each other, just for a few minutes to sort something out, it always goes like this. We go, could we make this meeting short? Because I'm really busy at the moment. <laughs> and the second point connected, he says, I never feel alone because I entered this monastery to be with the world and to pray for the world, wow. and I am always with the world. That's amazing. And so even there, you see, the mission is alive. Yes. And I think the other great thing which JP2 taught us was perhaps the apostolate or mission of suffering. Mm. At the end, he traveled all around the world as a missionary, but at the end of his life when he couldn't, he was a missionary to the end as a kind of an apostle of suffering. So it, it's never, uh, no one's ever excluded. This is the point, isn't it? To, Absolutely. The, if you're baptized, then you're called, then you're a missionary. And when you think of the patron saints of mission, yes. then, of course, St. Francis Xavier, who mm -hmm. physically went out and traveled, right. and then St. Teresa of Lisieux, Absolutely. You know, who was a teenager in a convent and never, never went anywhere Very in, in that sense. And so I think it really gives that beautiful vision of we can be missionary wherever we are. That's right. Going back to something you said earlier, and I think this is a particular struggle in the United States, the connecting that we can love the Lord, and our love of the Lord needs to translate in sharing the Lord. Yes. You know, our, our history in America is not that America became Catholic because it was evangelized, but because it was immigrated. You know, mm. we, we came as Irish, we came as German, we came as Italian, we came as Mexican. And the idea of sharing faith, we've, we've had some, certainly some saints do some incredible work here, but generally speaking, we've not experienced a a great awakening, an evangelistic revival. And so for many Catholics in the U.S., um, it's a very foreign concept. I think it's one of the reasons why, uh, you know, Scott, folks like yourself, many converts to Catholicism are able to share such a fire of evangelization for a cradle Catholic that's, 
exciting, but it's it seems a little bit foreign. <laughs> right. And as you have an opportunity to, sometimes it's bringing people to a completely different culture right. that can awaken right. more ways of how I can be missionary within my own culture. Precisely. You know, yes. and, and seeing it lived out uh, in those experiences. Absolutely. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have a question there, but I'm glad you, I'm glad you agreed with me. <laughs> There's an underlying point, though, that, that evangelization is not just interpersonal. There is a sense in which the way you raise your family and the way you interact with other families, there's an enculturation of the gospel that the Italians and the Polish and the Mexicans, in a certain sense, can teach Protestants because it's so individualistic, conversion and ongoing conversion for Protestants that uh, there really is that need to create the bonds that tie the generations together, and especially when they do immigrate, you know, where they're in a foreign place now and they're, you know, planning planting roots, yes. uh, but it can't just be that. And I think mm-hmm. what your point was, that it was almost exclusively that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, that you had ethnic parishes, like we do in Steubenville. You know, you had the Polish, the Italian, the Irish, and there the twain shall meet. And now, of course, the deal's off, because it's just a, it, it's just a secularized culture where you have to be converting, and you have to be sharing in order to really do that. You know, there's one thing that I want to add, too, to the mix, and that is, you know, here at the university, when you were a student, you also remembered that there were other students who were so studious that they really were disciples, right. you know, and then holding their breath <laughs> because they didn't want to go out. They had tests, they had papers, you know. Yes. And, you know, you said they were stale. I, I, I tell them you're constipated. <laughs> you're taking all this stuff in, you know, and you're not giving it out. Yes, that's and it. so, you know, when I was a student in college back in the 70s, I had just been evangelized and converted in high school as a delinquent, I couldn't wait to do that in college. And so I worked in Young Life, reaching out to these high school kids, especially the troubled ones who were unevangelized. And I would come back and see my fellow students, you know, cramming for their exams or whatever. But what I discovered in those four years was when you're sharing what you're learning, you end up learning it much better. You're not just learning it for the exams or the papers or the grades. You're learning it so that it can become your own. And so when people study here, but they don't do mission, you can see it all kind of ingrown. And, And this is what I think is so important about what we do here at the university encouraging people to be apostles as well as disciples, missionaries, Mm. you know, as well as followers of Jesus. That's absolutely beautiful. And I love the the analogy of constipation. (laughs) (laughs) I hope they keep it up. (laughs) Well, we'll we'll talk about maybe other words when we get back from Franciscan University Presents as we continue to look at this theme of being a missionary disciple. Stay with us. I think this is what makes Franciscan mission trips different from a mission trip maybe at a secular university or something of that nature, is that our primary focus is not to build a church or to build homes or to do something material. It's to bring Jesus to people, and that's a gift that you don't need more than a few days to do. And it won't be something that time will destroy. This is an eternal gift, and I think that's what makes universe, uh, mission work here at Franciscan so special. I've been on five mission trips, both in the United States and also in Slovenia, Lithuania, and Romania. And I've found in my time as a short-term missionary, just going on 10-day-long trips or week-long trips, that I see myself as a sower in the Lord's vineyard. And that's really been a big lesson in humility to realize that I'm just a sower and someone else will come and harvest. 
that I don't get to see the fruit of my labor, but I can trust in the Lord's providence to bring that fruit to completion. Welcome back and thank you for joining us. You're watching Franciscan University Presents and we're coming to you from the Communication Arts Studio here on the campus of Franciscan University of Steubenville. Our students are operating the cameras and equipment and my colleagues in the theology department, Dr. William Newton and Dr. Scott Hahn, are guiding our discussion with our special guest, Father Louis Morozny. We were talking earlier about the difference between being charitable and being missionary. You know, charitable is an important thing to do, yes. but missionary, the, the difference is really living with and, yes. and dwelling among. I remember um, when I was younger, my first missionary experience was going to Juarez in Mexico. Mm -hmm. And as any probably Westerner, I thought, oh, I'm going to do this great deed. I'm going to be so helpful to these <laughs> poor people in Mexico. <laughs> And of course, you get there and you, you get more than you give. Yes. You, I was just so blown away by the faith and the joy of the people of Juarez. And I had a similar experience uh, when you took me to Haiti and I got to experience where you grew up and a lot of the work. As you bring people to Haiti, how are they blessed by the Haitian people? What are gifts of the Haitian culture yeah. that can be a real blessing and an insight that you've seen uh, to a lot of Americans? So one of the first things that'll hit people when they go to Haiti is, I never realized it was that poor. Mm. And then they'll realize immediately, but why are they so happy? Mm. <laughs> so uh, to see the faith of the Haitian people, um, those that do believe, when they come together, man, they will dance for the Lord. They will sing at the top of their voices. And, uh, and rejoicing in the Lord. And they will dress their best to come to the church. And they wonder, where do they get money? How, how do they get the clothes so white, so, so clean? And so that's one of the first things that will hit people is that, man, so in their suffering, in their poverty, God is present. God is there with them. And in fact, if He weren't there, they couldn't have this hope that they do in order to make them get through their days uh, in, in suffering and, and, and difficulty. And so that's one of the first things that hurt people is that they feel privileged. Uh, back home, they realize they've got everything. Mm. Um, and they've got, what do you call it, first world problems. Yes. <laughs> and they realize how, how ridiculous it seems uh, in light of um, the real, not, I shouldn't say the real, but a lot of the big difficulties that people are facing in Haiti. I saw a, a Facebook post, I think Dr. Scott Hahn posted that about, this is how uh, when I tell Jesus I've got a big problem, <laughs> which is, right. was it Mel Gibson? It was Mel Gibson next to Jim Caviezel, who is like crazy. <laughs> right. and, 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 blood, blood, and Christ is just listening, yeah, <laughs> yeah I've got a big problem. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> they, they kind of feel like that in Haiti, so they come back more grateful mm. um, and also more inspired to really make God the center of their lives. Uh, the Haitian people, they depend on God for everything. They depend on God for health care. They depend on God for money to go to school yeah. um, because this, these services are so lacking in so many places that people will, will come. If you have a prayer service called a jen, we call it, which is the word for fast, but it's basically several hours of prayer um, mm -hmm. and calling upon God, people will flock to it because this is their primary place of getting services mm -hmm. because this is where they come and call on God for what they need. It's like, oh, well, what a thought. Yes, call on God for what they need. That's what they do. So people 
are moved by that very much. Father, yeah, Father, can I ask a question? Um, yes. In the mode of what you kind of execute, if you put it that way, uh, mission. One thing we hadn't discussed up to now is uh, maybe use of charismatic gifts or exorcism or, or, or something like that. Because it seems to me, well, I had an experience about 20 years ago with my wife. We went on mission to Denmark and it was rather sort of um, completely the end of the opposite end of the spectrum. Yeah very wealthy and content materially, but very depressed mm. spiritually. And what we did was we got the names of the people who were going to be at the meeting beforehand, a month beforehand, and we, we divvied them up amongst the team. We prayed for them to see if the Lord had any words for them. And then we offered these words in, you know, hoping to exercise kind of prophetic gifting. Yes. And I never seen power like that to move people yes. spiritually. And I'm thinking I, I'm a complete I don't know anything about Haiti, Haiti, can't even say the word, Haiti. Um, that, um, you know, but my sense is there was part in the past problems with maybe voodooism and things like this. Yes. So is, is, are the charismatic gifts or exorcism a part of the mission there? A big part, in fact. Uh, the, the, and the charismatic renewal is, is uh, a bit strong in Haiti. And the Haitian people are naturally disposed or predisposed to, uh, at least to the accidents or the the appearances of the charismatic renewal, mm -hmm. uh, you know the the excitement and all these, and I call these the accidents or in philosophical language, I mean, because the essence really of the renewal is not just that; it's yeah. primarily uh, following, uh, living under the lordship of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, right, mm -hmm. uh, which can manifest itself in many different ways. But uh, it's very powerful there, and it's very important in the ministry that we do, uh, and the people will also listen for the Word of God. They will want to know what is the Lord speaking to us or what's the Spirit saying to the church. And they'll, they'll hang on to those. Um, and uh, at certain prayer services, uh, when a word is given, people are attentive to that word. And also, the power of the Lord in, in comforting people, in healing people, uh, in uh, uh, delivering people from evil forces or whatever, uh, in deliverance ministry or in exorcisms, uh, formal exorcisms, all these are very present and is very known uh, in Haiti. People are not, you know, weirded out mm -hmm. by that kind of stuff because it's lived out every day. Mm -hmm. And so even in my own ministry, I've had to, I've had encounters uh, of b using those gifts of the Lord, the prophetic gifts, uh, in ministering to God's people because it's, it's the Lord working uh, through us and uh, He'll do things that I don't even think about. Uh, but the power of the Lord I've seen very much in, in exorcisms and, and deliverance ministries uh, where people who are uh, either, you know, you can go through the whole echelon of uh, uh, attacks from, from temptations as, as the ordinary uh, uh, attack through infestations, oppression, uh, or obsession, and uh, possession. And you, you, I've seen all those um, and dealt with a lot of these situations, but the power of the Lord always comes through, is always victorious. Mm -hmm. And especially the power of the rosary. <laughs> the, the rosary, I'll be praying with someone who might be possessed, for example, and almost always I start with the rosary uh, because the woman from Genesis 3.15, also the woman in Revelation 11 and 12, um, is the same woman that is connected to Christ who crushes the head of the serpent. And so when we call upon her to assist us in our prayer, she shows up and she, uh, she causes damage. <laughs> because usually within the third mystery or the fourth mystery, the person will come to and finish the rosary with us. <laughs> and uh, it's very, very, very powerful. Um, uh, and again, it shows the power of God and people will come to faith. There's young kids, I've got a 14-year-old girl uh, who 
because she was evangelized and taught the gospel and realized, I need to follow Jesus Christ as a Catholic. And she was attacked by these demonic uh, uh, powers and her grandfather who was supporting her was a Freemason who was uh, uh, sort of pressuring her to dabble in voodoo. She said, no, I will follow the, the Lord. He abandoned her and she kept her faith at 14. She said, I would rather die than to give up my faith in Jesus Christ in the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. And now she's a wonderful girl and she evangelized her mother who was outside of the church, came back to the church through this, this 14-year-old girl who experienced the power of God in her life. Yeah. You recounted this to us, to me yes. and my boys, you know, and uh, we were talking about it when we were leaving. And uh, later on, uh, one of them, David, was just talking about how when he went to Mass and he heard from the Gospels, Jesus delivering, suddenly it was like, Nothing that was just 2,000 years ago, you know, it was so alive and yes. so real. We, we, we've, we've spent, you know, some time talking about that experience, and we're, I'm looking forward to getting back there again with you shortly. But the, um, the, the biggest shock, as you probably realize, is the grinding poverty, yes. you know, because you think you know what poverty is mm -hmm. in America. You know, you've driven through the inner cities and the ghettos, and, but when you get to Haiti, you're like, that ain't nothing. I mean, that's that's middle class, <laughs> upper middle class yes. compared to what we saw in Haiti. Yes. And then you turn it around and you realize the joy. I mean, I, I remember telling the boys what we'd heard from Mother Teresa that, you know, the poorest of the poor in Calcutta, well, she said, I, I've witnessed much greater spiritual poverty among the materially affluent. Mm -hmm. You know, but at the same time, to see material poverty bringing about spiritual wealth, yes. the joy, and it wasn't just emotionalism. There was, as you said, the way they dressed, the way they sing, the way they related to us and to each other. It's like, we've got to figure out a way to export this you know, and bring it home. It was, I mean, they were really missionaries to us. And another thing you'll notice uh, in a lot, of, a lot of the poor is their generosity. Oh. <laughs> From their need, how they will give and, and, and bless others. And so sometimes, because we, we operate with no income, really, except for the, the generosity of friends and through Mission to the Beloved. And so very often I want to do something, but we don't have the money to do it. And so I will tell them, look, we, we, we've got to do this. We, we need to do this. This um, procession, this seven procession around the city, we need to I want you to out. share about that too. Just <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, um, and I said, but we need this much money. And they don't have much, but they'll gather what the little that they have and they'll bring it to the table. Or I will say, I'm gonna welcome some people, we need some food, we need some, and they'll bring a goat, they'll bring a chicken, they'll bring some eggs, they'll bring the charcoal, and, and they come together in generosity, my people in Osavo, of whom I'm very proud. And, um, and it's just so beautiful, the generosity of the poor. Um, our sister parish in Panama City was struck by uh, Hurricane Michael, I believe. And um, so I talked to my people, and, they, and I said, our sister parish, usually it's the other way around, right? This is especially the U.S. would come to help the Haitians, but we said, they're in trouble, how can we help them? We need to pray for them, we need to say mass for them, and we have a little collection. I think it brought about, what, $25 or something? <laughs> and then, uh, which we, is like two million bought, though. Right, right. <laughs> we, so we bought a couple of gifts for our sister parish, and I traveled there, and I offered the gifts of the poor to them. They were so moved, you know, some coffee, some other things, and they were moved to realize that, wow, that's a love. That's love, uh, that's gen generosity. So that's a beautiful, the Haitian people is a beautiful people. I'm a little biased. I'm a little biased. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned the Jericho Walk. Can Jericho. you just touch upon My that? Goodness. Because that was spiritual Jericho warfare. Is a, yes, indeed, it's a 
powerful experience. Um, the charismatic renewal kind of picks that up. It's reliving the scriptures, basically. So the story of Jericho, the people of God wanting to enter into the city, but it was, of course, walled off. And God didn't want them to try to fight with their own power because they couldn't do anything anyway. So he told them, depend on me. And with the Ark of the Covenant ahead, so that's the rule of the best virgin uh, who is with us. If she's ahead of us, we will win the battle. And so we have a saying in Haiti, Petite Maman Marie, par jambes bataille. The children of Mother Mary never lose their battle because <laughs> she's the Ark of the Covenant and she's with us. So, so uh, uh, go around the town once a day and the, on the seventh day, seven times. And the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. So we do this prayer every year uh, in my cathedral um, and every, for seven days, seven nights. So every day we read the, the scriptures about Jericho and we go around, we do one circle around, around the, 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 the square. On the seventh day, we do seven tours so, uh, around the city of Ansavo and with big sound on the truck and we'll have a couple thousand people at least that are, that's on the streets and dancing for the Lord, praying and praying for their own walls of Jericho to come down. And we'll just go around the city seven times. It'll take hours. It's an hour per, per, per trip. So seven wow. hours. <laughs> but they, they don't stop. They don't stop. The first time we did that, it was supposed to be raining. And, uh, and I thought, God, I'm going to go out in faith. I never prayed with so much faith before. <laughs> you got to stop the rain. <laughs> and he did, even though Google said there's a 100% precipitation yeah. uh, 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 chance or whatever, 100%, but it's not raining. So, so, so the, we started the, the walk. Two walks in, two tours in, it started drizzling. I said, God, that was not our deal. That was not our deal. But the Lord wanted to do, show me something else, his power, because they had to shut off the sound because of the rain. And I began to worry. I said, God, we have to finish the seven tours. And the people started going off, running because of the rain. Haitians hate rain. <laughs> <laughs> and the they, rain can be very heavy there. That's, <laughs> that, that's what, right. That's right. Yeah, it's not, exactly. Not just a little that's sprinkle. Exactly. Like it's torrential when it rains. And, the, and then it was torrential. Yeah. It was flooding on the street. And some of the young people started dancing and pr praising next to me. I thought, what's going on? I started dancing and praising with them. So I said, with not even a megaphone, to the huge crowd, we begin to sing at the top of our voices and say, follow me, let's go. We're gonna go on foot with no sound, with my alb on, in the rain, flooded. My, my feet are just, you know, I'm walking in rivers of water. And we did seven tours. By the seventh, one lady goes, Father, I thought you would abandon us midway, mm. but you didn't. And they said, we've never seen that in our lives. And then they knew they could. Uh, and that opened up. That was a breakthrough, I think, in their lives. And in my ministry as well, that was my first week there at the mm. cathedral. Praise God. Well, thank Amen. you so much for sharing these stories. And when we come back, our panel and guest will have their final thoughts on today's topic. So stay with us. Often here at Franciscan University, as the director of missionary outreach, I'm asked, how can I be a missionary every single day? And so um, as a father, as a husband, as a co-worker, um, the students I serve here at Franciscan University, I try to be in the present moment. How do I stay in the present moment? I concentrate on the Word of God. I pray with the Word of God every single day. I allow the Holy Spirit to come into my heart, and I allow a word from that passage that I read um, to enter in my life and then I say, how can I bring that word out 
to the students that I'm serving today, to my wife, to my children, to my coworkers, and being in the present moment. I think that's the secret. We can be a missionary every single day if we stay present to the moment and allow the Holy Spirit to direct our words and our actions. There's a great image in the book of Ezekiel when you see the water falling from the temple. I think it's a great image uh, for mission work in general because what we see is that the water really uh, signifies the humility that we need when we do mission work. It flows from the very presence and power of God to the lowest places, the streams, the valleys, the basins. And when we mimic that idea and we, we bring that idea into mission, we really develop a, uh, a habit of bringing this humility uh, to the lowest places. Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. We've come to our final segment. William, could you start us off with your thoughts? Yeah, I just wanted to highlight again this idea that we're all called to mission. And uh, I had this experience uh, 10 years ago now. One of our children was born, was rather sick uh, after birth, quite sick indeed. And uh, we had some help actually from the state. We we're living in Austria. They, they sent a woman to help us for three months. And after three months, they no longer were going to support us. And the woman said to us, well, if you want to me to keep coming, uh, you, you'll have to pay for it yourselves. And we had a lot of help from the students, uh, Franciscan students, because we were working, living in Austria. And um, so we said, no, no we, don't, we don't need any help. And then the lady then phoned me up a couple of days later. She said, I've organized with my boss. It's going to be half price. <laughs> and I thought, I, I, I felt really bad. I said, we, we still don't need it. Next week, she turns up at the doorstep and she says, it's free. <laughs> and what it turns out is that this young lady, well, she wasn't so young. She was in her 30s. Um, she was living in a Catholic country. She had never been in a Catholic church. Wow. And we were the first Catholic reality as a family mm. she'd ever encountered. Mm. And she just wanted to hang out with us. Mm. She saw something in that. And it struck me suddenly, look, the family, in that sense, it's almost like a kind of embassy of the church mm. in a foreign land now. Mm -hmm. Bishop Barron says, doesn't he, you leave, the, you know, go mass has ended. You step out of your church in a Western country, you're in mission territory. Yes. And that's what struck me suddenly, yeah, my family is probably the only contact that some people are gonna have with the Catholic church and therefore with the, with the Lord. And uh, in a sense, I think Scott, you were, you were making that point, yeah? For Catholics in particular, there's a certain sense that the the mission uh, is somehow rooted in, in the family. So that's, that's what I want to take, kind of take home, yeah? That, that we're all called to mission, and sometimes it's very, very simple. It's just to be authentic yes. uh, Catholics. Amen. I feel like I've got an ocean to squeeze through a funnel. I, I, I sense that at this point in time, Catholics who are in the academy have got to rethink what it means to be intellectual. Mm -hmm. The academic model is different than the ecclesial model. The academic model, you know, you study in order to get the doctorate to be a professor, to have other people study to become professors, and it just, it's just, it, it's inverted, it's mm -hmm. ingrown. Whereas the ecclesial model of the intellectual life is discipleship, and the purpose of discipleship is apostleship. Yes. And it's not, well, you cease to be this in order to be that. You know, you, I remember teaching you <clears throat> in class, and I remember the conversations that we had both then and now, about the mystery of the Trinity, yes. about the incarnation, you know, about the, the theandric mystery of Jesus, humanity, and divinity, about the Paschal mystery, about the gifts of the Spirit, about the seven sacraments, and all of this stuff. And it's like, well, wait, you know, so often it's like, if you're going to go deeply into the theory, you know, and just come up with all the opinions, but you 
it, you, you, you had this experience and shared it with others of falling in love with our Lord, going deeper and deeper into the mysteries of faith, and at the same time, allowing that to fan the flame to go out and share that with yes. people and to see it in their lives, yes. you know, so that it's not just truths that hit their head. Mm. It's a transformation of the heart, of the marriage, of the family, of the culture, and all that kind of thing. And as a result, you learn better. You know, mm. I, I'm still glad you haven't gone on for the doctorate, but eventually if you do, I mean, it's going to be volcanic when you go back <laughs> to Haiti, at least I hope, because I feel as though we're at a breakthrough moment when accreditation is stripped away, you know, by these agencies that say you're too bigoted, you know, hate speech and all of that, you Catholic schools, you know, then we'll be forced to recognize the fact that it was never really the appropriate model, Amen. that we are church, and yes. as such, we are missionary disciples, get the degrees, but for something bigger Amen. than just being a doctor. Amen. Amen. Yeah, I, um, I too feel like I have an ocean to squeeze through this little funnel. But uh, I would say this, um, encounter Christ in the context of the family of God, the, the Father, the Holy Spirit, the whole family of God, and that will nourish us and inevitably send us out, but never alone, always walking with God. Uh, in that encounter. And that encounter, of course, becomes contagious. Mm. The joy becomes contagious. Uh, it's a natural thing. So that's why it's, it's, if someone is feeling, for example, nervous about, well, I don't know what to do. It's okay, keep encountering and take a step out. Just, just do it, take a step out where you are. And we spoke of family earlier that touched a, a, a string in my heart as well. I don't even know if that's the right way to say it. <laughs> English is not my first language. But we had families as well come to Haiti mm -hmm. as missionaries, and they were probably the most effective missionaries because we were family. Because as the kids would draw people to them, the little Catholic kids, and as they loved each other and lived out the faith as family, it was an embassy, like you said, mm -hmm. to the church. It was an embassy indeed. And so families ought to be missionaries. They're the primary missionaries, if you will, missionary school. It's the family. Mm -hmm. And that's the beauty of it. Um, I would also say this. Um, in being we, we are all called to evangelize. We are all called to the new evangelization. We're all called to missions. And Mission Agentes has a special role in the church because she exists to evangelize and her essential mission is to evangelize as uh, Paul VI uh, told us in um, uh, um, Evangelii And um, the, I would leave us with this thought as well, uh, this new reality I'm really excited about that Franciscan is doing through the uh, Christian Outreach. Uh, office about the discipleship quads, and I know you're working on that, um, Bob. The discipleship quads, I think, is going to be a very nice thing to do to help people have a structure. One way to mm. do this mission is, uh, and people can learn about it, I think, at the Stumenville Discipleship Quads. Just Google that and, or to the Stumenville Fuel um, uh, website. And uh, love the Lord, be in communion with Him, let Him lead you to mission, and be back in communion with Him. Always be a missionary disciple. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father Lewis, so much uh, for sharing. And if you want to learn more about Father Lewis's mission in Haiti, uh, more stories from his work, we have a free handout for you. That handout is yours by simply going online to faithandreason.com or by calling the number you'll see on the screen in just a moment. Uh, the, the ministry that Father Lewis has been sharing is a ministry called Mission to the Beloved. And that website is Mission to the Beloved. Dot com. Uh, it's an opportunity to help Father Lewis and help those uh, he is doing ministry to, but more importantly, to be a part 
of the ministry, to hear the stories and to get to know and to be blessed by that culture. I would say my final thought on the subject is simply you can't outdo God in generosity. Amen. When you think you are giving something to help someone else, you end up getting more blessed in return. I particularly think in Western culture, we think the greatest sin is poverty. We think it's the worst possible thing that can happen to you. And when you go to a culture like Haiti, where they are so poor and so faithful and so joyful, it really makes you rethink everything that you've been brought up with in the United States. It's a freedom. It was the first time I really understood the words of Jesus, blessed are the poor. Mm -hmm. And God wants us to share in that blessing with each other. So please be a part of Father Lewis's missionary work. I also want to invite you to be a part of Franciscan University in our mission to educate, evangelize, and send forth joyful disciples to restore all things in Christ. Uh, you can enroll in one of our education programs online, get your degree here on campus. Father Lewis mentioned uh, discipleship quads. Those come through our Steubenville conferences. You can check that out at steubenvilleconferences.com. Uh, they're life-changing and a real great outreach uh, of this mission that we've all been blessed with, and Father Lewis, as you shared, uh, certainly has been blessed with. Father, would you just uh, close us in a prayer? I would love to. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, praise and glory to you, Father. Thank you, thank you, thank you for calling us to life and for calling us to love, and thank you for giving your love to us. Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we had to speak of you, to try to glorify your name. May you bless this dialogue and everyone that is listening, so that the seeds that were planted here may come to fruition through our Lord Jesus Christ. And now I'd like to give a blessing to everyone watching and to all of you here. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Go and announce the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. To download the free handout on today's topic, go to faithandreason.com. Email your request for the handout to presents at franciscan.edu. At faithandreason.com, you can also purchase past episodes of Franciscan University Presents or request today's free handout and purchase past programs by calling 888-333-0381. That's 888-333-0381. Or call 740-283-6357.